And welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. We have news this week. Hooray! Hooray! Um, still kind of slow news, but we've got some more FYI news stories just to get some information out there, stuff that we're interested in and caught our attention. Um, starting with uh, Green Day going on tour. They're going on tour to support Uno, Dos, and Trace, which are all coming out towards the end of this year, early next year. Um, their tour will start in Seattle on November 26th. Um, I know that they're going to be in Brooklyn sometime in January, so I'm hoping to try and go see them, but we'll see. Um, those tickets usually tend to sell out pretty fast, and they're playing a smaller venue in Brooklyn. And they tend to be very expensive. That as well. But hopefully the prices will be come down a little bit because they're focusing more on smaller venues, but we'll see. Um, I'm excited to try and go see them. I prefer smaller venues anyway. Yeah, I, I do more too. intimate. You get better acoustics. I I like large venues for certain bands. Bands like ACDC, Aerosmith, big classic rock bands. I like them in large venues. But I'm never close enough to throw my bra to them. I come prepared. I bet. Just because you steal your girlfriend's bras and bring them to concerts, which she probably doesn't know till now. No, I don't actually steal hers. I don't steal any bras. These are my personal bras to throw to musicians. This is getting warped. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Anyway, so, yeah, uh, it'll be exciting to see them go out on tour again, especially on their own. The last time I remember them being on tour when I saw them was when they were on the Pop Disaster Tour with Blink back when I was in high school. And they weren't even on their own. No, yeah, it was that. It was the both of those bands, and then like a uh, like a rogues gallery of other punk and emo bands. Just to verify, largest venue I like the Beacon. Beacon's theater is a great theater because it's great acoustics for that size. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's I like I like sit, my, sit down. I, Most people don't though. I like Madison Square Garden, but I like it for different reasons, and I like it. I, I like like I said, I like certain bands there. But mo- most bands I do prefer in a smaller, more intimate setting. It, there, it's a lot more fun. I mean, the garden is great. It's just it's not intimate. It's no, great. of course not. It's just very epic in scale because it's a huge arena. Yeah. Um, moving on, uh, the next news story is about Led Zeppelin. Um, utilizing their Facebook page, they've started a mystery countdown this week, or uh, over the weekend. Um, posting the number, the word for the number five in a stylized typeface. Uh, similar to their fourth album. And after gathering nearly uh, 37,000 likes, yesterday they followed it up with four. So they're clearly counting down to something that will be revealed this Thursday if it keeps going in the way it's been. People are speculating about what it will be, a new album, new DVD. I just think it's fascinating that a band that's been around as long as Led Zeppelin is utilizing social media that way. I think it's actually quite brilliant. You know, that doesn't fascinate me so much as... Like, it, it. I feel like it's becoming pretty commonplace. Even older generations know that that's how to reach people. It's just obvious at this point. But it's a cool way of doing it. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's cool. Like, they have their own five, four... It's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's intriguing. Countdowns are fun when you don't know what they're counting down towards. It definitely captures attention. It's a surprise. It's a surprise to everyone? Yes, I was surprised. Were you surprised? I was. I was. Well, well it's, uh, maybe well, we'll, we'll be more surprised when the surprise comes. I don't know if I can handle that sort of surprise. My heart's if already a little If you're surprised just by four, here comes two. <laughs> and the, I mean, the typeset, the font, it's amazing. No, yeah, it'll be fun to see what they're doing. Yeah. Um, I would I would be excited, more excited if it were a new album versus a new DVD, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, they haven't recorded a new album together as a group in a while, I think. Uh, they haven't recorded... A lot, anything in a while. But they played live not too long ago. That's not recording, that's playing. I know, I'm just... It's I'm, old stuff. Obviously. And then there's the really old stuff, and then there's the really, really old stuff. Because this is Led Zeppelin, they've been around forever. It feels like it. <laughs> um, they invented the guitar. <laughs> they didn't invent <laughs> the guitar. <laughs> Shut up. They reinvented, that's what I meant to say, they reinvented the guitar. Still, I don't agree. You know, Led Zeppelin is very, very interesting because they're slightly implacable. Like, classic rock is too broad, but you cannot call Led Zeppelin arena rock. No. And you can't really call them, like... I mean, they're not left over from, like, rock and roll. They're too edgy for that. But they're yeah. not quite prog. Yeah. It's weird. They what, can... what are they? What, are, what is Led Zeppelin? They, they fall under the umbrella of classic rock. They don't really have yeah. a more specific it's just, genre. It's like... But they, within that, they go from, like, folk all the way to almost heavy... Almost like the precursor to heavy metal. Yeah, along the lines of Blood Ash Cult and that kind of stuff. Because yeah. Blood Ash Cult was a very big precursor to metal as well. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw it out there because Led Zeppelin 
is very much in a league of their own. No, I agree. Category. Even even as a person who's not a huge fan of theirs, I still agree that they are definitely in a league of their own. And uh, so wrap, wraps up the news. Um, but talking about leagues and being in a league and very obviously in the league, we're going to get to our album review. After we talk about what we've been listening to. This oh, yeah, week. we're doing a little. Oh, yeah, I forgot so, about that. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I jumped the gun. It, uh, so, in headphones this week, um, I've been mostly listening to. Um, Actually, a lot of the records that we've reviewed on the podcast, I'd made a mixed CD of songs from various articles from the website, as well as uh, albums we reviewed, um, from Run, 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 Run by the Flowbots to She's So Mean by Matchbox 20. You could just call it Run. The rest are in parentheses. You don't have to add that. But run. I choose to. Run, run, run. Run. Run, run, run. Or you could just... It's like calling good riddance, good riddance, time of your life. Which Actually, I do. as Tall as Lines did the same thing with a song called Love. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. I just <laughs> call it good riddance and run. It's, a, it's just being a little bit more specific. Also listening to, on that, that mix CD, um, the, one of the couple of songs I like on the Maroon, new Maroon 5 CD. I have the new single from um, Rammstein's Greatest Hits. It was a compilation to remind me of what we've been working on and... Stuff that that keeps me positive on the website and the work we've been doing. So that's predominantly what I've been listening to this week. I actually did hold out and didn't listen to the new album that we reviewed today until today, which and, uh, I didn't think I'd be able really, to. You really, you really love to make your mix CDs. I do. Well, the, the funny thing is, <laughs> love letters to yourself. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing is, I don't just do it for me. I'll make mix CDs for other people based on their styles of music too. I've done it recently with Joseph, one of our our writers. Um, I do it. I do it for Mary all the time. You know, with mine. You never made me with, mine. With my, I don't have. We never got one. I never have. I don't have a large enough library of stuff that you like yet to, in order to put one together. I have songs, definitely, but not a library of tastes yet. I should hope eleven weeks of this should tell you something. <laughs> a little bit, but I mean, you've only done three album reviews in the, the ten yeah, weeks. Yeah, what are we up to here? We were. We've each done, done about uh, three. This will be. This will be the. Full, the I've third. done four. Matt's about to do number four, and, and you're, you're doing do four next, next week. week. Yep. Sounds good. Yes. 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 Quite. Mm. Yes. Indeed. So, John, how about you? I didn't listen to music this week. At all? Not really. <laughs> well, <laughs> In to, the music podcast. To preface. No, I was, re- I was, re- I was re-listening Flowbots over and over and over and over again. also, John also <laughs> doesn't have a working stereo in his car. I have, that. that's why I carry around headphones <laughs> yeah. and this my just, phone. This is just shameful. The whole credibility is gone. No, I listened. I was just I just fell in love with Flowbots. I was listening to it. I was I was totally on like. I'm trying to get tired of it. <laughs> try, try. I'm trying really hard. It's not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. And you, Steve. we talking about music. What was this? Wait, what were you listening this, to? This is about music or something. Yeah. Oh, what were I, you listening to? Uh, I don't know. Air. You know, this air going by because that's interesting to me. Yep, air going by my life. <laughs> well, last week, funk, dude. last week. Hey, I'll get to funk. Don't don't take <laughs> don't talk about funk until we're actually. Funk. Steve is a very big funk fan. Yes, R and B, jazz, and funk, all th- that. Jazz. This pertains to it. Last week, I talked more about Jeff Buckley, but then I remembered at the very very end, I was also starting to get into Yes. So this week, I went a little bit further into Yes, and um, Yes, I like it. I like it. it. The thing about yes, it's kind of tricky because they're all over the place. Like they have a wide variety, and they've also had a wide variety of members in their past, and they dabble in a good amount of funk, although it's the prog style of funk. It, it's it's kind of strange, and it, it definitely takes an acquired taste, I think. But it's really really interesting, and um, I admit some songs are hit or miss, but when they hit, it hits. Uh, particularly, I will reference the song "Roundabout." Probably, Roundabout, Roundabout's a great song. In my opinion, it's one of their best. Yeah, I, I happen to like that song a lot. All right, so that's in our headphones this week. Moving on now to our album review of the week. Um, we're reviewing the new album by one of my favorite bands, uh, Matchbox Twenty. They have a new record that came out last week called North. It's their first full-length album, and I think between eight and ten years. Um, they released an album a handful of years ago that was a eight-song album accompanied by greatest hits and two of the songs on that album were covers so it was more like an ep this is their first full length in a while and um it definitely completely shattered my expectations for what a new matchbox 20 album would be like even though i'm a big fan of theirs i was expecting them to stay in the steady sound that they've been playing and they kind of went all over the place especially towards the second half of the record 
Um, we start with the first track, which is called Parade, which I personally felt was a fairly strong intro to the album. It was kind of, you know, easygoing, peaceful sound, like your standard slow Matchbox 20 song. I know that Steve and John didn't quite agree with it being a strong start. You use a word there that I think you should use for every song. Just about. There's four songs on this album that truly says something great. But you said the word standard. And I feel like this is a very ah. standard album in general. I'm inclined to agree. Parade was was a good way to start the album, but it was very simple. Uh, even though it had a nice beat, it was very, very simplistic. It was very listenable. The intro but it was, was nothing... nice. The intro was nice, but it, it had been there, done that kind of thing. It's Every... a little bit generic. It's got this generic written all over it at times. It's uncomplicated. So it's, yeah. a, it's a great opening track. Gets you into the album, but it doesn't give you anything new. Not a lot of this album actually gives you very anything really new. I'll say this, though. Certain songs are tailor-made to grab. Yes. In other words, when that style, whatever it may be, which we'll get into later, whatever it may, whatever it is on this album, any, in any song here, if it, was, if it came out first, five, ten years ago, it was big then, right? But they've kept doing it, and now to have this come out in a 2012 setting, it's just not, it's not grabbing me, at least. But it may still grab people who were grabbed by that stuff in the beginning. And the single that they released, She's So Mean, track two, was that kind of song. It was a good, uh, it was a good song you can sing along to. Lyrics weren't too overly complicated. The drums were good. I thought, that I really liked about the song, and there was good build-up in it. In parentheses, I have written the perfect single. And the reason I say that is exactly what you're talking to. It's very simple to learn. It's very easy to master, so you can sing along to it very right. And the, and the, yeah. the music progresses, ca- and it's catchy. And it's just one of those songs that's tailor-made. It, compared to the rest of the record, it definitely stands out like a sore thumb, but on purpose. It's one of those, this is one of those albums that they made a song or two that are clearly going to be singles, and they want to put that out there. See, that, I agree with that. And, it, and actually, that's funny, because considering what I just said, She's So Mean, even though it only comes to the second track, it actually got me very, very hopeful for, uh, for some more variety. Because I do think it, it, it is unique for the album. It, it does stand out like a sore thumb. It's got, it's got a lot of stuff going on. I, I don't know. I, it... It is tailor-made, but not to the extent that I just described. She's So Mean is probably to the lesser extent. Yeah. I think it's, um, I actually find it rather original, to be honest. Musically. Yeah. Instrumentally. But I found the lyrics to be very repetitive, very on-the-nose, tongue-in-cheek style, but not in a good way. I, it was, it, 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 less poetry, more rhyming. And I got that in a couple of songs in this album, where... They weren't really coming up with anything new with lyrics. It was, it was in... Well, I don't know. She's so mean. They let's, went let's obvious. Stay, let's stay on that for a second, though, They went obvious with in it. In general, I agree with you for a lot of other tracks. But She's So Mean, I actually think that the it, it covered a theme which is original. The chorus opinion. was repetitive, but you have to remember that the Matchbox 20 is writing in a song, especially She's So Mean, that's supposed to be repetitive. It's a single. Singles have... Vert- an original, a starting original verse that's repeated at the end, a different verse in the middle, and then a repetitive chorus. That's the basic structure for a pop alt standalone single, and why I call it the perfect, perfect single because it's got that structure. That's pretty standard in, I think in I just, singles. I just found She's So Me to be a very fun song. Yes, uh, that's, oh, that's, I won't, I won't it's one of those that. songs that yeah. she, you're singing about a, a woman who's destroying you, but you're along for the ride and enjoying it in a twisted way. Because she's so mean, but and that's the thing. You're the, seeing the lyrics, the better side the lyrics are very, very blunt in that regard, which might go to what uh, John is saying. Yeah. That it's not poetic. I, I personally don't think everything needs to be poetic. But again, it's, we know that I'm not, looking more for music than than poetry, so I don't mind a little bit of bluntness no, in the lyrics. It actually kind of grabs me. Blunt is a, is a very adequate way of describing it. You, it's the lyrics are telegraphed. In very the song. adequate. <laughs> no, the, the lyrics are telegraphed very in the song as you're going it. through, but. <laughs> It's not. It doesn't have to be poetry. It just should be inventive. You should try something. And while you say that the concept of the song you found to be very unique uh, the, in the music I listened to, this really wasn't anything too special. No, I suppose uh, that, that was probably a little. But bit just on the top of that, over, also overstatement. You know, I think it's because it was so blunt. No That's band, why I call it original. No band innovates on every song, with the exception of possibly Muse when we listen to that record, because Muse does ridiculous things. But typically, an artist doesn't innovate. In it, innovate. Innovate on every track, so. Inter- but I do inter- agree inter- with what you're, I do agree with what you're saying, though. I'm just saying I don't. 
I personally am not taking points off for not being innovative. But I understand I'm why not saying you no, are. But it, yeah, that's what I'm saying. This is yeah. very generic. This is generic song when it comes to lyrics. That's that's what it is. And the next one, oh boy, Overjoyed. Overjoyed was track three. It was an acoustic song, a lo- acoustic love song. Country. I. Up it was backed by electric guitar, though. Towards the end, there was definitely electric in there as There's well. There's dead. Not, not electric guitar in country. That's a no, feature I'm... of modern country. No, yeah, of course. It doesn't decompose. I'm just saying. No, it starts off acoustic. It was Garth Brooks' country love song. I mean, that's what it really felt like for me. And I, I'm not, I don't like country at all. But I didn't hate this song, which was a good thing. This this wasn't a real big turnoff for me because of that kind of uh, southern feel to it. Um, well, it's I, just it, this is where this is where I think the album actually started giving me hope because your first song was very alt pop, the second song was a little bit a little bit hipper, a little bit jazzier, a little bit more in your face. The third song was a departure from those two. It started to get variety. The that, album was really starting to differentiate the songs by this point. Yeah, I agree. I just that's that's what I was looking for uh, primarily after that. The only thing is that uh, in the overall arc of the album, that does hurt it because yeah. the more variety, it's strange. You you want variety to an extent, but yeah, walk that fine line because if you're if you have too much variety, you're all over the place. And we talked about this once. That gives you a compilation, not an album. Right. Well, for this song, also for me, I really like. This was the first song. I mean, the other songs had. The thing about Matchbox Twenty for me is they're a band that with their lyrics. Even if the lyrics are very standard, they're never phoned in or soulless. Even if they're standard or basic, they still you still feel them. There's still passion behind the lyrics. But this song, Overjoyed, was the first song where the lyrics were a little more complicated and you could still really feel the passion behind it when Rob Thomas sang. Well, let me just talk about that for a second because we mentioned country, and I think that's very important here. Mm-hmm. I think there's a reason they went in the country direction because country, for all of... The things I don't like about it, because I'm kind of on, on the side of John here. I think we should be honest about what we generally like and what we don't like. Right, yeah. And country is not my primary we're, genre, nor John's. I think we're all in agreement that that country is not any of our strong suits. Right. But but that said, I want to bring one thing to the attention of the group. That country, I think, would be the most heartbreaking of genres lyrically, to some extent. Oh, they I have could a agree lot with of that. very, very, very sad songs, and they usually discuss very, very harsh topics. Like, you know, he he walked out on me while I just birthed a child, or something like that. Yeah, they're very. He very gave me another things. black eye. I mean, I love him, but Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It happens. That's the thing. Like, you know, that's you not can make all, fun of it as much as it. That's yeah. not all country. And it's also, it's like saying uh, rap and hip hop is all about. Uh, smacking women and drinking gin and juice and smoking blunts and all yeah, that exactly. stuff. Exactly, but, but I, th- go- I think I think country covers many many different layers of sadness. And going back to to that about country though, I think also I have to start trying to look up more modern artists in country because I feel like country as I know it is different from what country is now. Oh yeah, don't go off like like country. Country is fusing with rock. A yes, lot. a lot, and and even pop too. I mean, Shania Twain started in country, and like in the mid to late '90s, she branched out into pop music. But it still sounded like country music. Same with Faith Hill, Leanne Rimes, a lot of these female artists who branched out into pop, but still had that country root. Country is not Dolly Parton anymore. No, no, it's not. So anyway, I just wanted to put that out there because I think that's why they win this direction. You made the claim yeah. that they are very passionate about what they do, Matchbox 20. Yes. And I think that's why they went that route. It, it brought it out. And to make it clear, the whole album didn't go in that direction. It was just this song. Yes. There, there, there are a lot of other songs on this album that hit other genres completely. Almost and, blindsiding. And yet I'm talking about sadness here. The title of the song is called, called Overjoyed. Overjoyed. <laughs> the song was fairly fairly positive, even though it had this kind of sad overtone this, to yeah, it. Yeah, it's a melancholy tone that, that country country gives off, I think. Um, it's mostly in his voice and, and to some extent the style of the, of the guitar work. And then to flip it again, they went into Put Your Hands Up, which was pop exclamation point, dance exclamation point. That's, it was, ex- that's what it was. Another it was a, complete turn. Com- completely turn. Completely different turn, but it's pop music... I say done right. I mean, it's a matter of opinion, but for me, as we always do, referencing and hearkening back to a previous podcast, we complain that in the Moon 5 record, a lot of the pop music felt kind of soulless because it was all overproduced and very done on a computer. Where's the band? 
This pop song, you could clearly hear the drums, the bass, the keyboard, the, the vocals, the, the, the guitar. Like, it was a dancey pop song, but played by a band. But I felt yeah. the synthesizer uh, noises, because it didn't really feel like music. It was a little that overpowering. Was, and no, 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 it wasn't overpowering. It was a little jarring, and it was hurting the actual instruments. I felt they actually could have got rid of the synthesizer in this song. No. Yeah, no, I know, I know you always say don't do this. It's not John, not to do that to me. No, but no. I, I gotta disagree with Why? you. Why pop? I mean, the synth really makes the dance. It made it the pop song. If they took the synth out, it would have been a cla- it would have been a rock song. Like that really carried the beat to make it a pop song. I don't think you could dance in this song without the synth. And the jar and the jarring synth is what a lot of pop music's famous for now too, especially because yeah, it grabs you. But that's not good necessarily, in my opinion. And I felt like in here, it probably would have worked better. The tune was good. Um... But they could have gone rock with this. They didn't have to make it a pop song. I think it benefited from being a pop song. Yeah, but I know that's what they wanted. Yeah. Because the title, put your hands up. Yeah. Anything and I, and about I, this is this is pretty much a party track. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. I agree with Steve. He nailed it. But, like I said, it was at least it was played with instruments. Yeah. It, it wasn't we'll, as we'll soulless. We'll discuss as context in a little while. Because, yeah. but, but right now, as we go through this song by song, I think you're getting some sense of the variety at play here. And keeping up that, number five, Our Song, which was a love song. Yeah, Our Song I really liked lyrically because, I mean, lots of bands do love songs. But the reason I liked Our Song lyrically was because it wasn't the typical, I'm so in love, I see hearts in my eyes, you know, that kind of... Gooey love wait, song? Wait, 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 wait. In in outside of pop and even to some ex- extent pop, how are how is that a typical love song nowadays? The sheer amount of love songs are usually uh, ironically love songs. Actually, I'm gonna have to agree with John here. He makes a good point. Modern the, the pop love okay. is pretty raw, raunchy. I worded like. it. I worded it incorrectly. What I meant by typical love song is it's not a love song where it's about the relationship starting, falling in love. This one was more about yeah, we kind of screwed up. You know, the mm. relationships on the rocks. But this is our song. We're gonna build from this. We're gonna get better. And that's what I liked about the lyrics. And I, I misworded it, and I apologize. I just liked how the lyrics were more about taking the next step and fixing the problem instead of we're in love and everything's perfect. Yeah, this was a lyric-heavy song. I, I, re- I had very little to say about the music, to be honest. I found the music kind of uh, trite, repetitive. It was generic, but heartfelt. It was definitely, yes, about, it. I, I definitely get, more I get, about the lyrics. It set the, most, the most basic tone, but apart from that, it's you got to listen. Okay, to this lyrics. was... This is track five. This is when I really was getting down on this album. Um, um, because here... Clarify that. Getting down on... Not not in a positive way, in a negative way. That's track right. five was, was the... It's the last of the songs I really didn't like, because I found the track five, their lyrics to be rhymey for rhyming sake, unless not, not really trying to be, once again, emotional or inventive, but to be, just make it flow. It was it was it was here that really the line was drawn in the sand and it, it had only one place to go and that it was up. And it really did in the next song. I will. I loved this song. It was a acoustic, very simple song that you kept expecting for them to screw up because they would have that breakdown where you're expecting heavy drums. They had a very, or... very, very soft guitar throughout. Um, less generic than the earlier tracks. Uh, this was a lot more intriguing. You really wanted to revel in it, you know, let it let it sit in your mouth, and you knew that just at some point that that uh, that breakdown was going to come in where it just takes you right outside of the and, They and didn't do it. Yeah, they, they did not kept it. it low key and they kept it very, very beautiful. It was just this very well composed and produced, very basic track. What did I say about the word composed? What did I say? What it's I a very well produced track. This was a produced track- and layered. This is not composition. I want to save that for the one track on the album, which I think is right. honestly composed. This had this had good piano work, complementing a pair of guitars. Exactly. One was set up like a regular guitar. One was more of a bass-oriented guitar sound. It was complementary. There's still looping going on. Is all that stuff, but that's not bad. That that really it it, it makes for a very very nice experience. And the Relaxed. lyrics definitely got a lot better with this song. They got a little more individualistic, and it felt more emotional and. Uh, better uh, written for me. Yeah. And the one song that really, really just had great lyrics was English Town, the next track, which was probably... Th- 
It's hard. This this track or number twelve, probably my favorite track. I can't decide between the two. English Town had amazing singing, backing up powerful lyrics with great building uh, of changing their sound during it. The, the, There's except, definitely a lot of synth work in this, but it was so tasteful. They put you barely it, knew it at times. Yeah, they, they flow different sounds of this song together very, very well. The thing I liked about English Town the most was, it unlike other, other tracks in the album that have piano and synth as well, this one had a very low echoed synth that was almost haunting. And I, even even when all the other instruments came in, it still had that backbone of this haunting synth layer. This was the perfect follow-up to I Will for that reason. Because everything yeah. that I just said that I Will lacked, English Town made up for. It was and truly it, composed. It was truly composed in, in every sense. Barring one thing... That first breakdown from pure piano work to heavy synth. Exactly. They went from a 1 in composition to a 10... Then brought it down to a two, three, four, five, six, working their way back up. Yeah, they right, jumped a little too high in the beginning from their low, but it worked very well afterwards. Yeah, let me just, just clarify that because it, you know, it's, not everyone is going to view this the same way. But we basically had the same reaction here that uh, they they gave us the climax a little bit too soon. I mean, you you like some sense of building up to something over the course of a song, and I felt like within seconds of of the really soft, unique tone that they had created in the very beginning, they just jumped into the breakdown. They made that error, whereas uh, I Will did not. So I suppose there's a bit of give and take here. But after that, if you just ignore that, if you just wait until that's come back down to the to the soft uh, the soft tone that they they um sort of keep throughout the track, then I, I think they did really really well. It's like I would rather treat that as the beginning of the song. I just cut the whole first thirty seconds. And I have to say, the, 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 what I liked in this too was Aqualung. It had that same sort of haunting uh, flow of the lyrics with complementing the music. Not the same sound, but it really had that, that Jethro Tull kind of feel to it that he portrays in Aqualung. And that's what really got me grooving. That's what I really loved about this song. It, it was great. It was great for that. It had all three parts. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't, you know, perfection, but it was darn close. And we, it's, it's a decent spot for a um, for a climax, in my opinion. Yeah. And then we move on to track eight, which is How Long, which was one of the more original tracks, instrument-wise. I mean, it, was, it clearly had a harpsichord in it, but as Steve had pointed out during the song, the harpsichord seemed like it was only almost being filtered through a synthesizer. Cause that, yeah, but during they, the they chorus, modded it. They modded after, it later on. After every line of the chorus, there was this updrag... Of the harpsichord that stood out, yeah, but it was it, it, beautiful. It, it bends upward. It's a really, really intriguing effect. You can't do that on a harpsichord. No. Like, bare, you know, bare bones. So they uh, took something material. that was clearly written and, and performed and then produced it and then... I, I like I like when bands that. do that because, you know, in general, we, we, we recognize instruments... Even if we don't expect that an instrument is going to come on, we, re- we recognize what that instrument is the second it's the second it appears, right? We only have a certain number of instruments in the repertoire of culture, yeah. right? And we know what most of them are, the most common ones at least. Even though harpsichord is not the most common, uh, today at least, we still recognize it. So when you do something a little bit different to it, that's when you create a totally foreign tone. And I'm really, really intrigued when uh, that kind of thing happens, because it's new, it's exciting. It takes and, you somewhere you've never been before. And when I... First heard this song, it was my favorite song on the, on the album to that point. I, I really loved it. The lyrics were beautiful. Most experimental. And it, really, and it was definitely the most experimental. They were definitely spreading their wings at this point of the record. They're kind of playing with the experience that they have. I know for a fact that many of the band members play multiple instruments besides the ones they play. Like the drummer also plays guitar. Rob Thomas also plays guitar and piano. So they were clearly experimenting with this. And I would have honestly loved to see the jam session that led to this song or how they created this song because it's definitely fascinating in the way it's built. And it was my favorite song until we got to the next song. I'm going to let you two take this because I was not the first to notice the phenomenon that occurred here in in the ninth track radio. So you did. Radio Radio was unique on this album because they, for once... 
each each song from this album, you can say this was more pop, this was alt, this was a little more hip hop, this was a love song. Radio Song had a huge variety of influences in it. It was it started swing, big band style. It went into punk. It went into almost R and B. It went into a little bit of ska. It had alt. It had rock. It had everything. Yep. I mean, it clearly, at one point in the song, especially during the chorus, it had that snap your fingers kind of old school Billy Joel pop song kind of sound to it. But the fascinating thing about radio, because I was listening to the lyrics, especially on a second listen, that besides jumping genres, the lyrics are talking about hearing a song on the radio, songs grabbing you from the radio, where you were in your life hearing this song. And it's clearly brilliantly done on purpose that they wanted to make a song that was almost an homage to to big radio because radio doesn't really exist anymore it, it's there but it doesn't influence people it's musically there, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't um it's not the same it doesn't it, influence it does not do the same thing yeah. because people treat radio differently it's they not... go on pandora and they have a set um they have something in their mind that they 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 go towards like a, a genre or a mood or something like that they have all this this uh, isolated radio, whereas it didn't used to be that way. I mean, you old know, top was, uh, forty was exactly. everything. You could hear anything on top forty. Exactly, and it it really br- people would listen to the radio to discover new music. That really doesn't happen anymore. That's mostly comes from the internet, TV, TV, you know, movies like that. They're a bigger influence of new music than radio is anymore. But this song was definitely an homage to the good old days of when radio influenced everything. You know, especially your tastes in music. And this was a song that was composed. They knew where they were going with it. They knew how to... No, it wasn't composed. I'm telling you, this was composed. Composed, you're using the wrong word. Actually... This was not produced... This is not... I'm not saying... I'm using composed on purpose in this case. This was a song where they actually knew what they were doing. They knew when they wanted to bring in horns. They knew when... And it wasn't just they produced it the proper way. They were trying to create different parts of the song to represent different styles of music. And they did it. And that's composition. Actually, I'll agree with you in part. Not in the full definition, but, you know, a lot of these things are crisscross all over the place. I agree with you that it is composed in the sense that they took a theme and they reinvented that theme over and over again in a variety of ways. That is composition. I I admit that. Uh, But there's other things that go into it. For instance, it needs to develop into something. It needs to develop into another section, something else. It it doesn't develop, though. It's the same theme that's recomposed several times to give you a different, different but the same impression. It's, uh, it wanted to take you through the ages, essentially. And, uh, I don't know. It, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not, I love the song. Don't be wrong. I just, I would prefer something that goes into another section. But it achieves its goal in every way. It was, it, it was very much on the nose. This is a song about radio. Let's give you an, a, a story of radio. Yeah. And you heard it both through, yeah, no, you heard it. It was, it was properly written. It was. It flowed great. It sounded great. Uh, the words were there. Every, everything was there. This was a, one of their better written songs on every aspect. Let's this put was, it this way. This was a good song on this if, album. If this was composed in the sense that I'm describing right now, it would not have been as good of a song. Yeah. Because you can't just depart the theme that they were after. If they departed and went to another section, it would not make this... You wouldn't even get the impression. It took me a while to even realize that they were... Uh, recomposing that same theme in in various genres and when i did i was like all right this is perfect it's just it, it's a unique experiment in it's fact, a it's a solid experiment <laughs> and i would totally be shocked if this doesn't become a single down the line because it definitely has that i can picture them going from scene to scene to scene it sounds like something that yeah music video exactly. and they would they would be dressed wearing different way. things yeah. you know like rob thomas dancing like billy joel in like a, a brightly colored this suit. is a prime candidate for a music video absolutely i agree and i'm it really could... hoping they follow through with that in an idea like of what we're, we're discussing and that's why the next song I, I'm a little downer on because The Way was another one of their sadder songs. Um, this one, it, it had the same problem that I, I found in uh, Overjoyed and Our Song. It was a little more generic on the instruments. It was a little more repetitive on the lyrics. I didn't really hear inventiveness. I didn't hear... It was emotional. I mean, that's that's something that they did great. 
that Matchbox did great in this album. They made everything emotional. They poured their heart and souls. You could hear it in all of the words, yep. all of the instruments. You feel something on every song. Yes. That's a great thing. I wasn't really hearing it to the same level I think you were because I was also looking for them to have some inventiveness, some some something there that was less generic and The Way was another one of those songs that I felt was just a little bit too the same tune. And I agree with you 100% because it is the only track, after going through all these songs I had something to say about. There, there was definitely something unique about it. And I actually listened to this song twice because I was like, really? Do I have no impressions? And I didn't. I didn't write anything down. The only song I did not write anything down for. So I, I guess that doesn't speak too strongly about it if I can't remember it even after two listens. For me, I I still remember pretty clearly. And I mean, for me, it was just, I agree with John, it was fairly generic. But to me, it was still pretty and very much in the vein of Matchbox 20 slow songs, something that I could easily listen to. But it's definitely forgettable. It's a throwaway for the latter half of the album. Yeah. It's which a, which up until this point was actually very strong for it me. It was. Really, uh, as John said, the line was drawn in the sand between our song and I Will. And it picks up again right after this song, too, because the next song, Like Sugar, caught us all completely off guard. Yeah, now we're back into variety. This song, hands down, is a late 80s, early 90s R&B track. We're talking Boys to Men, we're talking Montel Jordan, or even a little earlier than that. Primarily, to be fair... In the rhythm section. Yes. But that's all you notice in the beginning right. because it's just, you know. If you listen so to different. I listen to the lyrics pretty closely. They will fit that bill too. The yeah. lyrics were definitely in that R&B vein. This was, in yeah. fact, something that anybody from that era would be proud to say. And honestly, this is, this is definitely <laughs> influenced by Rob Thomas's solo career, hands down, because his solo work, on his solo records, it's, it's a divide. Half of the album sounds like other Matchbox 20 songs, and half of the albums sound like very pop, very, you know, kind of big, larger-than-life tracks. And this song was definitely, definitely influenced by personal tastes of his. Because I, I know, because of, of just reading interviews and other things, that he's very big in other genres besides just rock, which he writes music for. And that was thrown in with this song because the guitar work was not R&B. The guitar work was alt yeah. Was rock the whole yeah. tail end of it? That it was a one. The whole last minute was a guitar solo, and it was a great solo. Yeah, I mean, was. we're not yeah. talking, we're and not it, talking Santana, but we're gonna say this was. <laughs> it was a solid, like, rifting guitar solo, and live this this solo would change. Like they would have something new to say every time they played this song. But I'm, I'm gonna say that, but I'll just use a different comparison. It wasn't Joe Satriani. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing I like about that guitar solo, though, is it wasn't even brought to the forefront. It wasn't leading the track. It, it was. It crept up on you. It was, was behind very nice. that still yeah. heavy R&B backbeat. And I loved that they didn't make it the, the spotlight. That made it better because it was kind of just layering the background of the song. If anything, that's, that's, a, that's a way of composition right there, to be honest. I agree. And then next we get to the final track on the album, Sleeping at the Wheel, which we are all pretty much in complete agreement that it was a fantastic conclusion to this record. And it actually, this is the song that is warring for my favorite song. This had beautiful lyrics, touching lyrics that I heard on the first listen to, no problem. I heard such great poetry and composition and message in his voice. It was amazing. It was great. This song was definitely written, written with a level of emotion and passion that was in the other songs too, but this one you could tell that Rob Thomas wrote these lyrics about something. They're not like, because, you know, She's So Mean can be kind of that generic, you know, girl who messes with you thing that he may or may not have experienced personally. But you can tell Sleeping at the Wheel is definitely from personal experience. You feel that heart in the lyrics. And in the way the song, the music is too. I was taken just by the title itself. Yeah, I think that's a that's. I, I like titles that give you almost a such a vivid vision. Like that's all redundant, but it's serious. No, like, I understand. Like there's some though. titles that I feel are complete throwaways. Like they serve as a basic um, umbrella for what the theme that they're about to set. But this this is just so perfect. You cannot get any simpler than that. Sleeping at the wheel. It just gives you back all that... It takes you back to that, like, 3 a.m. feel of, you know, where all the your emotions are just running through your head and you've got the radio on or you've got the... I'm inclined to say the radio, to be honest, because of 
if I if I remember yeah. correctly, you had said when we were listening that you were getting personal memories of your own rushing to your head while listening to this song. It like, is. It, it's. it's and really I think hard that's really powerful. And there's, the, there's a word for that, which escapes me at the moment. Uh, there was also the lyrics themselves also talked about sort of sleeping through life. That was yeah, another thing. It was that definitely. You had to exactly. It was definitely exactly. literal. There were multiple and, layers in this song, just in the lyrics. And for Steve to go, oh wow, this they're, they're singing great words. How do you, you I think I felt? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was incredible. It was great. It was metaphoric and literal, and it was perfect to end this album. It was definitely an exclamation point on the album. It definitely wrapped it up very nicely. Remember we always we have this thing here where it's just assumed that I throw away lyrics at the first. Well, no, I really it's assumed don't. that you don't. I really th- don't. Not that you throw I away just, lyrics. I, I need I no need one... very very grabbing poetry. Yeah, something that that. That really wakes what me up What we're saying inside. is that typically you don't get all the lyrics on the first listen. So for a song to grab, you to grab the lyrics on the first listen must have been well written and powerfully presented. That's all we're saying. Okay. Actually, and it, that, and that, it, that does sum it and up. And it further punctuates how much we like this song that you grabbed most of the lyrics on a first listen. Right. Where and you typically don't. One thing it did have, this song also had was a, uh, a variation in the speed of the instruments at times. They were, they, they, uh, they, it was a slow, mellow song and sped up a little and slowed down a little and sped up a little and slowed down a little. It was very well designed that way. And it was also, it's when the choruses were popping in and out, when they were changing from chorus to refrain and all that. It was so well done. And this song, perfect ending. Problem was, for me, the front was so weak that for a great song at the ending, for a lot of great songs in the second half of the album, the, which you would normally consider the B-side, I feel like they should have been flipped or spread out better. Not flipped. I'd no. much rather end, I like, end on a I, high note it, than it, or it. spread out because there was a lot of good in the back end. Well, hold on a second. I'm talking about my own tastes here, but uh, to be fair, I'll agree in the marketing sense. It might yeah. have been wiser to put it in the front. This way, not I everyone, just, not everyone's going to give the album the patience. Marketing, I disagree because you know what markets an album, the single. You know what? It doesn't matter where the single is on the album because of course it doesn't matter where the single is. I'm, but, I'm, but, I'm just but, talking about the, the, the rest of the early. But tracks. that's why I'm saying I don't think it matters that it was back heavy because, in, from a marketing standpoint, the single is marketing the record. So regardless of the composition of the album, if the single sells the record, they're buying it regardless of the way the album is built. I actually am going to... I don't think it's just important that they... Well... I'm going to point yeah. out a few things that actually... It's just make, important that they buy it. No, no, there's... there's no, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that... It's important that they love it, too. There's something point. I've got to say that I, I think you're wrong about that because a lot of sales nowadays are online sales. iTunes is huge. And you go to an album and you're going to preview the songs. That's true. If you hit play on one, two, three, if you don't hear anything by four or five that's grabbing you to get this album... Pick up, move on. Exactly. That's fair. So putting your strongest stuff in the back actually still hurts. It's Mm. like it it would have been the same way that records would have been produced during the 60s. You can't backload. You can't B-side all your good stuff. You're not going to sell. All right. I, I guess I'm looking at it from a more... Uh, a, a more basic marketing standpoint, not a more modern marketing standpoint. And that's probably where, if it was 10 years ago, what I said might have held more weight. Yes, that's true. No, but nowadays... But currently, this really says, says a lot, considering... Uh, it, it's funny, because really, you're the marketer, Matt. <laughs> you bring the marketing perspective, but um, I don't know. John no, speaking to more point on here. But also, think. keep in mind, most of my education in marketing I, I'm the is ethereal from... artist, so I, I just, I just want, I just want. You just going for the flow, I'm, man. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not just looking. I, I do judge it very, very harshly, but, but in terms of artistic sense. In other words, I will be patient and wait yeah. till the end. But, um, you know, at that point, and I'm also going to be pretty, kind of judgmental. Also, with this album, it's about the, the finished at product. The, at the point in their career, I don't know that they're as concerned about. The marketing as much as they're just looking to construct a record the way they want it, and that's it. I mean, this record's produced by Matchbox 20. I don't think they have anyone in with them, so this is purely a, a, a passion project from them, you know, as a band. All right, let's talk overall here, and I, I want to just hold off on ratings for just one sec, because this is going to be really, really tricky for me. Okay, um, well then I can start, because I already have an idea on in what I want to say and may help you form a coherent... Put together of what you want to say. Yeah, let me hear uh, your overall. Well, 
Don't give me a number yet. I just uh, want you to describe the way you feel about it as a whole. So for me, I mean, it's no secret that, although I don't mention as much as John mentions Weezer, but Matchbox 20 is one of my favorite bands. Um, I got into them in early, in late junior high school, early high school. Um, their albums were uh, a soundtrack for a lot of my early teen life. And I very much love their music for a long time. And not to say that I don't love other artists more or less, but... Th- I feel like Matchbox 20 is one of those bands that I always go back to. They're up there with Eve Six. They're up there with, with, with Billy Joel, who I grew up on. I really like them. And you know what it is for me also, as I realize more, because Rob Thomas has released solo records, is it's Rob Thomas. I am, I am a Matchbox 20 fan, but I'm even more a Rob Thomas fan. As a songwriter and as a lyricist, he's very good at conveying his emotion. Even if the lyrics aren't the most technical, you still feel something when you listen to a song he's written regardless of how complex or simple they are. And I think that's what really grabs me about all of his work, both with Matchbox 20 and without. And this record for me, North I went into with a lot of expectations, because I've been a fan of theirs for a while. And their last record that they released was kind of an EP attached to a greatest hit, so they had a couple songs, which were good and catchy, but nothing spectacular or unheard of. And going into the beginning of this record, I thought it would be a lot of the same. You know, She's So Mean wasn't too terribly different for some singles from previous records. Same with Parade wasn't too terribly different for some of the solo songs from the previous records. But then, even in Overjoyed a little bit and then Put Your Hands Up, like these songs started showing tiny differences for me. But then, of course, like John said, once we hit I Will and went past that, I was completely blown away by my expectations. Completely blown away. Um, for Matchbox 20, a band that I know backwards and forwards to catch me off guard really says something about how I feel about this record. And each track just got better and better. Um, you know, like I said, I had, I have stars next to songs on my notes because they're my favorite. And then the next song, I have to add more stars to the point where radio has four stars next to it because it was my favorite track after how long was my favorite track. And then English Town was my favorite track. And I really... I really loved that they were doing this reinvention. The fact that Matchbox 20 as a band still did something brilliantly that I haven't really heard anywhere else. Radio is a very original track. English Town, or even How Long with the Hopscard, very original tracks that I can't think of any other band who's done anything like that. So I'll refrain from giving my overall score yet at Steve's request, but for me, this record was a complete package for me. Even though there were some songs that were generic, I like generic music also and so for me it didn't really detract from it it just kind of didn't do anything to increase it either it kind of leveled out but the good so far outweighed the bad for me that it really put the record in perspective for me and gave, put the ranking in my head that I'm going to give it hmm that's uh that's a mouthful John I felt this song uh, this song this album was a compilation of generic sounds they were done well and they were done with love and that is to the credit the matchbox 20 has a real passion for what they do some bands you just feel like they phone it in not these guys they always they always try to deliver and while there are great songs here there's not enough that really balances out the very same feel that i get in the majority of this album it doesn't grab me, lyrically, musically, instrumentally, on any aspect, overall. There are parts here and there. There are songs that really do. And those are the songs I truly love. But as a whole, the album itself is well-made, but not inventive. Not unique. They, it feels like this could have been done by other bands at other times. But I will give them one big big mark in their favor there's a lot of variety here and while that does detract from an arc in the overall story of the album it does give you something different something new with every track whether it's something i want to hear or something i don't want to hear that's that's going to be all up to you as you listen to it but really it, it's it's commendable just for that hmm is, we're really treating this like a panel here i mean <laughs> i i I'm not sure I can give so much of an impassioned speech on this album, to be honest. I This really is a song-by-song song thing for me, but, you know, in terms of the overall... The overall... 
whatever it leaves me at the end. I can't even I can't even really say. It doesn't leave me with anything overall except the final song. But I'm too conscious that it's just the final song. I it, it's introspective. That's the thing. We were discussing this. It, it has to be my favorite song on the album, "Sleeping at the Wheel," but it's falsely giving me impression of the whole album. That is not true. That was really just the latter half, and I I really do think that an album needs a solid um a solid start. I just was not that impressed with the early tracks. I really do think "She's So Mean" is a powerful single, but it it can't. That can't be the be-all, end-all of the album for me. I need something else. Um, man, this is difficult. We're not getting giving numbers yet. You, you didn't I, give numbers. I mean, if you want to start, well, we might as well do it, Matt. Okay, for me, this is a five-star album, hands down. And the reason it's a five-star album for me is because my criteria of five stars is different from someone else's. This is all based on personal opinion and taste. And for me, a five-star album, as I was explaining off the air earlier, and I'm going to write in more detail hopefully to have to you guys by next week. Yeah, this is a this is a thing. We will be discussing what makes we're what exp- our our ratings. We're going to explain our rating system because everyone's rating system is different. For me, 5 star is not the end all be all, the penultimate of music. For me, a 5 star record is a record that takes me to the next level personally, musically. You know, an album that makes me feel, an album that makes me think, an album that really grabs me. As I had said before, the best way I can describe it is an album that I can't stop listening to. You know, an album that I just, I want, as soon as it's over, I want to listen to it again. That's how I often describe a great video game, too. It's a game that as soon as I beat it, I start over again. I start a brand new save and keep playing again. And with this, it's the same thing. I was driving to the ferry in Staten Island earlier. I was listening to the new Flowbots record because I've really gotten into it since we reviewed it on the podcast. And then after a couple of tracks of the Flowbots, I was like, I don't really want to listen to this. I really just want to listen to Matchbox 20 again. And so I popped it in and started listening to it again. It's just one of those CDs that really, as an album, grabs me. Part of it is personal preference, of course, because I really like Matchbox 20. So the generic songs don't hit me as hard as, say, Steve or John might. But I really just love this record. And I, I can't wait till I hear it again. Just talking about it really makes me want to listen to the album again as a whole. And it's definitely going to be the soundtrack for a lot of work I do in the future because I just one of those things that I really just want to keep listening to. Well, I'm not here to challenge your rating system. I mean, that's that's all well and good. But but I suppose I mean, you use the word penultimate. I mean, <laughs> as as close to perfection as it can probably get without being perfection. Perfection is is too it's too difficult of a word because I, I agree. Honestly, you put it best. Something that takes you to the less to the to the next level musically, and I, I I suppose that really is what I'm looking for at the end. But I it's I would hesitate to say five because there's too many other things that go into it. Is it a guilty pleasure for me? Hey, it might take me to the next level even if there's just one little element there yeah. that I can borrow from that I can that I can hold to my soul and and uh, carry it into whatever I might look to next. If it if it touches you, it's got to be good. You know that's what it comes down to. But I, I can't ignore some uh, some basic things here. Like, there's nothing wrong with simple songs. And in many ways, I'm be, we're being way too harsh here. I've heard so much simpler, you know, than Matt's Black 20. They did really, really well with this album. It's just, I, I suppose, you know, I always go back to that word composition. Because I'm looking for something that's that's more longer, deeper, fluid... I was not really getting that with too many out of this, except for perhaps English Town and Sleeping at the Wheel, which really are neck and neck for my favorite tracks. Uh, apart from that, there were just some throwaways, and I, 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 I'm not drawn into the to generic love songs. I just I need something that's a little bit more subtle. I, I like subtlety. I really do. I think that's that's what I'm looking for. So something that takes me to the left, next level musically. That's in a four to four to five range, and this didn't quite make it. Eh, three point seven five. <laughs> okay. Um, all with the decimals. I, I I like to put it this way: you start at one, which is something you actively don't want to hear. Two is something you're just going to change the channel on, unless you know your hands are full. Three is something you don't change. You, you either take it or leave it. Four is, is actively something you will listen to. 
you'll change the volume and make it louder. And five will be something that you want to listen to, that you go out of your way to put back onto the radio. Now there's variation where while something you want to hear all the time but it's fairly simplistic, a little too idealistic or uh, honestly just just kind of full of itself, we'll get lower marks. While something that tends to be kind of throwaway but interestingly done, presenting you something with a good idea that, that's never really been tried before, it's going to go higher. This album, it's full of throwaway. It's full of very generic songs with gems. There's four songs I really would point to uh, on this album. I Will, English Town, uh, Radio, and Sleeping at the Wheel. These are truly good songs. These are ones I'm going to want to listen to. But there's so much other clutter, so much other generic on this album that I have to take it or leave it. And for this this one, I'm going to leave it. 3.5. Yeah, I don't see going back. I, that's that's the real trouble. I, I think, actually, John, you put it best. Uh, three is something where you're not going to... You're not going to leave it while it's on. You know, you let it play. You let you let the experience occur to you. And it's not even that you walk away with it saying, like, I hate that. It's not nothing like that. It's really just very much, that was okay. That, that's a three. That's that's in the three range. And this is just, you know, I put it in the higher uh, part of three because it really did offer some innovative things. It's not that, nothing that I'm going to go back to personally. I don't think it was, as I... <laughs> Going back to the word "be all" and the phrase "be all end all" of music, I, I don't. But it, it accomplishes some very, some very neat things that I don't think have been uh, accomplished before. It it tries hard, a for effort. <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, like I said, I don't think any of us are looking to influence each other's rating system. You know, I'm giving out five because to me they mean something that make me want to warrant that rating. I'm picking up something from this album that you both aren't. You're both noticing things about this album that I'm not. And I think that's why I like the fact that our ratings sometimes are so drastically different. Because it shows, again, going back to how we all listen to things differently. And I really like that. We got really serious with this one. Yeah. We started We started out so uh, happy-go-lucky, but I, I never would have thought that Matchbox 20 would be um, a band to incite such... The seriousness. Well, I mean, I, honestly, I'm not surprised because they invoke emotion. We both agreed that... I think it's because it's right on that line. Yeah. It's right on that line where it gives me little little, little hints of things that I would like to look more for. Yeah. But they're just so bare by my, by my standard. Like, right. they're too sparse. They don't seem like they're, they're terribly invested in them. They're invested in other things, which uh, I have all heard before. That's 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 their style, and that's what they like. That's what they like to do, and I'm okay with that. It's just it's not where I'm. Doesn't take me to the next level musically. I, I guess that really is a good phrase. So um, moving on from this, and it stems from something that Steve had said earlier about how good music, at least the bar- the minimum of good music, will make you feel something. Yep. And then beyond that point, what you feel is based on personal preference, how well it's made, how badly it's made, you know, lots of other factors. And I want to start, I want to give you guys a quick, a little teaser at the end of this podcast about something that I'm actually really excited about to start this week. Um, What I'm cleverly calling, and I use the term clever loosely, um, trigger tracks. And and I'm going to make it a bit personal for a minute. Um, To me, what a trigger track is, is a song that makes you feel something. Almost overwhelmingly so. And I was driving home last night. I was out pretty late. And a song called Hocus, H-O-K-I-S, by Eve Six, came on the radio. And as I was singing along, uncontrollably, I started to tear up, well up, get emotional, get upset, and cry. You know, not to the point of hysteria that I can't drive, but enough that tears were streaming down my face. For me, that made me think, well, why? I'm not particularly depressed tonight. I had a good night. You know, I've had a, a bit of a trying week, but, you know, I was a little stressed. But why Why did it make me cry? I should have been crying. I was the one who was drunk, at, drunk butt. You dropped off. I was three <laughs> sheets to the wind. It was pretty bad. <laughs> well, I mean, that could have been part of it, too. I mean, clearly not to sound too mushy. I do care about my friends, and I do care about John, and he was, you know, upset as well, and that could be part of it. Well, I but, wasn't upset. I was emotional. 
That's uh, what whiskey does. Emotional. The point is, is that this is a song that made me start to really think, well, well, why? Why? The song's lyrics aren't horribly depressing. They're a little. They're about someone leaving and wishing that they were still there. But why did I get that upset? And so I want to start, and I think we're all going to take a hand in it at some point or another. I want to do these songs called Trigger Tracks and what emotion they invoke and why. And, you know, do, throw a link to a video if there is one and describe the song and talk about why it invokes that emotion in you. Because I think while listening to music is obviously very opinion-based opinion as well as it's different per person, I think what we take from music is also very different from person to person. A song that I find to be really depressing, it could be because the song is actually a happy song, but I relate it to something depressing in my life, so it makes me cry. Whereas Steve could hear the same song and he could, it could make him really happy because he doesn't have that emotional connection. And he's just taking that very specific song literally to what it means and it, it puts joy in his heart. Yeah, and while I was uh, about to rag on that for, uh, for crying, <laughs> still, honestly, I, I really, really do like this idea. Because I, I, it's a good way to get out there what really does make us tick inside. I mean, that's, that's, that's really the big game here. We try our best, I think, the three of us, to be completely objective and try to just discuss uh, plain cold facts, uh, the ly lyrical content, um, <laughs> size of vocabulary, you know, things like that. Um, the important size of, stuff. Size of musical vocabulary, too. And, and I, I know I, I can be a real hard-ass with that, but that's not really the be-all end-all. I, I have been moved by very, very simplistic songs before, if, as long as they're stated correctly. So. Perfect example of that is probably Affection, where all three of us were clearly moved by that song. By yeah, that's, a ra Jets. that's a rarity. That's another thing I look for, but it's yeah. uh, so much more challenging. We only right. have, and it we only have the window of the three of us through which to um, through which to to rate that kind of thing. But ultimately, we're looking for something with some universal content. That that's uh, that's <laughs> you know trying to find somebody else who feels the same thing in a song uh, that you do. And you said once, and we say this all the time: everyone listens to music differently. So, and, and I think that this this new segment, if you will, or serial, or whatever we're going to call it going forward, I think it's really going to push the boundaries of how we really describe and feel about music. I mean, it's just one of those things that I'm really excited to start working on. I mean, I, I, I'm not always chomping on the bit to, to write. I, you know, I prefer to talk to writing just because I feel like I can express my feelings more easily that way. But I'm really excited to do my first song. In fact, I have a couple of ideas for what I want to do. It's not just one clear project I want to do. That's the thing. We, um, I think it's good that we, we share our, our voice between our, our written word and our spoken word. Because I think here we're able to be more objective, perhaps. Whereas when we write, we are a little more personal. Well, we can define what the personal quirks a little bit more clearly. Here we can't really define it. Here, here we can just say, like, I was moved. Hey, <laughs> yeah, you know, after that, you really need to justify yourself pretty quickly. Yeah, um, and the easiest way to do that on air is by just stating facts, and you know, we can't tell other people what to feel. So, but, but that's also what. Oh, go ahead, John. I find words to be incredibly difficult in general. <laughs> no, it's it, it's really hard to actually express yourself, and that's why there is such a thing as music. Uh, it, it's ah. meant as an outlet to create. Emotional and uh, psychological connections between people. That is that is very obvious when you listen to music. That's Lear, why, uh, yeah, music speaks everything that words can't. And that's why you have things like national anthems. They are quite literally propaganda to make someone feel emotional about their country. It's it's a perfect example. And while nowadays I guess we're a little bit jaded to that, but I I, I challenge you to to see something like. Our uh, uh, the gymnast team who finally pulled gold at the Olympics, seeing them up on stage, uh, seeing our flag being dropped, and hearing our national anthem, those people could not help but cry. Not just because of of uh, winning first place, but because through the music and through viewing their flag, they realized they made a, a bond to their country as a whole. And it's very powerful. Yeah, I'm and that's moved right that's, here. <laughs> It's okay. I have a, I have a tissue somewhere, um, but that that's what music is, and I guess what we're gonna do is is try to use this segment as a way to actually try to get let you the listener view inside our heads. Yeah, that's exactly that's what it. it is. 
And I'm letting you know right now, be careful when you look inside my head. <laughs> it is quite jaded and, and a little confusing. The, the best you should do is if, if you really get a chance to look inside his head, just take a quick... It's like looking at the sun. Just take a quick look, run away after it's that. It's like looking run through, away. looking at a solar eclipse. That's the one that's dangerous yeah. for your eyes, right? Yeah, don't look directly inside my brain. Get one of those boxes and cut out the square and just... When, when, when my brain comes by, tilt it at my brain and see what, what, what reflects off of it. It's probably the best way. Otherwise, you'll be confused and scared and probably confused again. Um, but yes. I'm going to have fun with this segment. I'm, I'm really excited for it. And, and it's yeah. going to be in the vein of the song shots that I've done in the past. You know, it's going to be a nice little paragraph. You know, it's not going to be this huge, art, you know, huge essay on it. We want to just convey quickly how we feel about something. And I think it's going to really, it's going to be a really great segment that I'm curious to see if all our writers do, but besides just the three of us. I also suspect right away that we're all going to tackle it very differently. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I already know what's going to be tough to restrain myself within a paragraph, but all right. All right. Yeah, I know. I'll yeah. Give it a shot. That's like when I asked Steve, when we, when he first became a part of the website before we even started the podcast, and I asked him for a little blur based on what everyone else did for their bio for the website. Yeah, I really I, got a, I, I was an autobiography. I got a page and a half, <laughs> and I said, this isn't going to work. Cut it down. And Steve's like, pick your well, five maybe favorites. Maybe could you cut it down? Well, I was born in 1988, and from there on in, <laughs> so, saw the doctor's So face. we cut it down, but he still has one of the longest ones. But, I mean, that's to, to, to Steve's credit. He's a very good writer, and he likes to write. So, but I'm very excited to see where this goes, and, and I think it's going to be an opening yeah. to a lot of new segments and a lot of new content on It's the a side. chance to get out of the uh, stream of consciousness mode that we're in during this podcast. I agree. I'm actually going to harken back a lot to an article that is on the site that I'd written a while ago called I Speak Music to You. And in that article, I just talk about songs that also conveyed certain emotions for me, but because of specifically what the songs were saying to me. Or is this going to be more about what I get from the song? Which is a little different. Mm, yeah, indeed. Quite? Mm, yes. Indubitably. And, and on that bombshell, I think this is a good place for us to wrap up. Of course, as always, thanks for listening. Um, please comment on the website. Go ahead and send us an email at crashchordsblog.com. We're looking to hopefully get some more guests on the podcast soon as well. And, um, you know, as always, music is life and life is good. <laughs>